0: Yes, a very warm welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech podcast, where every week we bring you everything that is exciting and innovative in the digital procurement space. And this week, we're going to be talking about a very, very pertinent topic at the moment, especially in light of inflation and supply chain challenges and all the other things that we're being bombarded with at the moment as procurement professionals, particularly in relation to uh, direct materials and production. So we're going to be talking about the topic of innovation and also how software can accelerate and facilitate that. And my guest today has a module in their software offering that does exactly that and have been very successful in going to market with it. So I would like to welcome to this week's show, Maciej or Matt Zaleski from Procurance Meerkat. Matt, very warm welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, Welcome as well so procurement and quality management software let's let's just start maybe just give a brief overview of what procureance meerkat does more holistically and then we can drill down into how you came about bringing on the supplier innovation module and why that is so important especially in today's market
1: mhm My background is in procurement consulting. Um, I used to work as a a consultant for about eight years, focusing on supplier management, supply chain risk management. And uh, I grew frustrated with what was out there in the market because we always ended up leaving the customer with an Excel file uh, and hoping that at any certain point they would implement a software. And hence came the idea of Procurance as a software provider for the business. Uh, that's easy to implement and e- easy to use. And uh, we, we've basically started with this area of supplier master data, supplier management and risk. And over the years, we've grown into a, a full procurement platform with a very strong quality component. So connecting both the, the purchasing world, the quality management, the R&D and new product introduction. And um, what we do is we always talk to our customers uh, what they need. So we always try to be very practice-oriented. And if we do introduce a, a new module, uh, then it's always uh, based on a particular customer and trying to solve the problem they have at the moment. So the, the whole issue of uh, supplier innovation came from um, our customer, uh, Akko Corporation, and it's a Fortune 500 company, uh, they are an agri- agricultural equipment manufacturer, so they do tractors, combine, harvesters. And they, you might probably more know them more uh, through their brands, Fendt, Massey Ferguson, Challenger. And they are a very innovative company in itself. Uh, I mean, if you think about a, a tractor uh, that they produce, it usually costs in the range of hundreds of thousands of euros. They are extremely high-tech Uh, equipment so uh, forget about the old time uh, farmers and uh, simply mechanical tractors think about um, a tractor that when you draw a a line on a map it will drive itself automatically with a precision of plus minus three centimeters so that's 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 the kind of high-tech innovations that they that they built in and they basically came to us and said we need to streamline the communication with our suppliers concerning innovation. And that's how the
0: whole thing started. So how would you define supplier innovation then? Because on the one hand, it's, I guess, making sure that the product is designed to cost, but there's as we know and you know, as we explore a lot more in on, on this podcast and also in the procurement world in general, there's there's much more focus now on things like quality and sustainability, understandably. So how do you define it? And then I guess the second part to that question is what which other stakeholders within an organization, and we can maybe, you know, use your example from AGCO as a, a good example, would typically uh, okay, it's, it's going to be dependent on industry sector to a certain extent. But who would typically then be involved in this whole innovation workshop and process, and 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 designing the future in terms of what does good look like?
1: Yep. So the the definition of innovation is a is a key item for a successful introduction of a, of a good innovation platform. People usually when you think about innovation you have this this kind of flash in your head uh, iphone tesla so talking about the highly innovative products or highly innovative features and this is of course one facet and, and you are as a company always striving for that a key differentiating factor versus the competitors but an innovation from a perspective of procurement Um, is also what hides below the waterline. So the the features is the top of the iceberg. And underneath you have uh, things like uh, continuous improvement, where uh, you can have a stream of very small tweaks, both to the products or to the components, to the processes, that in the end drive you towards a better uh, cost position uh, as a company, or drive uh, increasing uh, efficiency. And if you bear this in mind, this kind of differing facets of innovations, then you will have different stakeholders who drive the process. Because if, again, if you think about the the typical NPI where your company is the innovative party, this is driven by marketing, this is driven by R&D, who then talk to procurement, and say, okay, find us the most capable hands to deliver what we're asking for, where we have the very clear vision. Now, if you go towards the other definitions of uh, of supplier innovation, so those continuous improvement supplier idea generation, uh, then suddenly the the stakeholders increase because you move then from the typical R&D, this top-down approach, to rather bottom-up approach, where it is the suppliers that come to you with their ideas um, and you're trying to evaluate whether or not this idea fits your uh, organization, can it be implemented? And it can be pushed either just to procurement, to the operations, and even up the the ladder, as it were, to R&D and marketing, where the suppliers come up with new features and marketing realizes, aha, this is actually something that we can use uh, on the on a sales side as
0: well. And that's a really important distinction, actually, because if the supplier is involved early in this process, then then the supplier can then provide feedback, I guess, in terms of how difficult. The original design is to manufacture, or how it may how it may drive up cost in terms of the materials, or or generate quality problems as a result of the design. So that early involvement and, uh, and and sort of having the supplier being able to offer their feedback, sort of almost unsolicited during that process, rather than being explicitly asked for their thoughts further down the line, is a very very big distinction, isn't it? And certainly if i cast my mind back to when i worked in the automotive industry buying direct materials 15 years ago pretty much we didn't really engage much with suppliers in the actual design and thought phase and and i guess now that that's a necessity with with things like supply chain problems and um and and and, and all of the rising costs of raw materials it's it, it is a necessity to to think of your suppliers next uh, as an extended part of your team Absolutely. Uh, people often forget that uh,
1: the R&D people, uh, they are of course professionals, but a lot of them um, create the designs as in a way, theoreticians. They, uh, a lot of them don't have hands-on uh, experience in the production and they do not realize that what they design looks good on paper and fulfills the requirements of the customers but it might be more problematic for the uh, suppliers to produce and of course if you have a typical hands-off approach then a supplier will simply do what you ask them to do uh, but in somewhere in the back room they will laugh at the customer saying this is stupid what What the customer asks us to do but if they pay then it's fine yeah? <laughs> whereas if you go with, towards the supplier collaboration where you think of each other as team members then those people who have hands-on experience in production can come back to an R&D saying, well, we think we can do it better and it can improve the, um, uh, the cycle times, it can improve the, uh, the use of additional materials and, and so on. And those small innovations should not be underestimated because uh, they should be an ongoing
0: part of the operations of a, of a company that's well-established. And I guess the obvious question is then, how can software assist this process? I mean, the one obvious example I'm thinking of is that it just brings everything into a single source of truth. So as if you've got suppliers that are already doing this, but are doing it offline and in the background, and they're not really being acknowledged for it, then as the buyer, you're maybe not necessarily aware of that added value when you go into a a round of sourcing for a new product. But I'm sure there are many other ways as well.
1: Absolutely. So first of all, um, software is used to channel the communication between the internal stakeholders and the suppliers. And this channeling should go both both ways. Because on one hand, within the company, you have a number of stakeholders who are looking for solutions to a problem. It happens very often, especially if the company is a non-productive company, where they know what the problem is, but they can't find or they can't define how exactly to solve the problem. So we can uh, put it forth to the supply base and ask them, look, we have a problem with ventilation, with dashboards, with uh, uh, paints or any any other uh, issue you can come, uh, come up with. And simply it's like crowdsourcing, basically speaking, but within the supply chain. So the first thing that the software does is it allows the customer to create topics of interest, kind of like buckets where people can throw in their uh, their ideas. Uh, and that facilitate, facilitates the communication this way. Uh, where it also facilitates communication is the, the from the side of the supplier to the side of the internal stakeholder. Because let us not forget that procurement does not know everything about what's going on in a company. And uh, typically, procurement always wants to have well specified problems and solutions. So, if they have an internal stakeholder coming in saying, hmm, "I'd like to have a solution to this and this," they will say, "Well, come back to us when you have, uh, uh, you know, ten pages of specifications, and then we're going to do a tender." So, what will happen then is that internal stakeholders will stop coming to procurement with fuzzy ideas because then they know they won't get any help so if a supplier at the same time comes into procurement and says hey guys i have a new solution that might be of interest to you what will happen very often that will procurement will say it looks nice but we're actually not interested we don't think that this will be of benefit to our company not knowing that at the same time, there is somebody within the other forty thousand people of the workforce who are like actually looking for that uh, uh, specific uh, um, solution so what what the software does apart from the ongoing day to day communication with a new idea being uh requested by the uh, customer the supplier submits this idea for evaluation uh, and then receives the feedback it also serves as a repository of potential ideas and then if somebody comes in after a year or two years and say ah okay this is exactly what i needed i was i've been looking for uh, for a solution as well yeah, this is this is something. If uh, I might add, add one thing, so this is not a theoretical construct. So the, the story that I've been telling about this is something um, that, uh, for example, the Germ- German railway. So they are our customer, and this is exactly what they're facing. So they're not a, a production company where it's all top down, this clear communication, centralized communication between R and D and procurement and the suppliers. Because they're a service organization and such a broad service organizations with different needs from trains to stations to electricity and and so on, this is very much decentralized within the organization. But they still have that need to uh, obtain the innovations from the market on a constant
0: basis. So just a quick interlude because there are a couple of things that I really want to make you aware of because I think they will be valuable for you. So number one, we now have a monthly newsletter where we bring you curated content of everything that's happening in the digital procurement space. If you want to get that, just head to procuretechpodcast.com forward slash newsletter, enter your name and email and we'll get that delivered straight to your inbox. Number two, if you're ahead of procurement or a center of excellence leader, and you're perhaps a little bit confused or overwhelmed with what's out there as best of breed digital procurement technology, especially if you're a mid-sized business, schedule a call with me. There's a link at the bottom of the show notes in this episode. Just hit that schedule a call link and we can have a quick chat to understand your challenges and what potential solutions out there may be suitable for your organization. And now let's get right back to this week's show. And I think from a procurement professional standpoint, we generally would welcome stakeholders speaking to suppliers off their own initiative or suppliers approaching stakeholders. But I think the key point is here that there needs to be documentation of what's going on. A, exactly what you alluded to so as there is a database of of initiatives that everyone can access and and have visibility of outside of people's email inboxes but I think the other thing is certainly from a procurement standpoint is that it makes us aware of what's in the pipeline and what may be gathering pace because then if a stakeholder is at risk then of being asked to do something or, or tries to do something commercially that they shouldn't be doing that is sort of procurement job essentially then it gives us then that visibility to be able to contact the stakeholder in question and to to ask them how we can support them so it it it's two ways in terms of both 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 building the database but also having that visibility to enable us not to be in the situation where you know the typical situation happens where the quotation lands on procurement's desk with a request can you negotiate 10% off this price by the way we need a purchase order tomorrow absolutely <laughs> Absolutely, that that is the case.
1: So that that's that's one way of kind of r- wrestling the control back from R and D to procurement, where it should stay.
0: Let's talk a little bit about some of the less traditional methods to drive innovation and how maybe a software platform can drive this. and And I looked at three, and this was from an article that you shared with me when we were. When we were looking at putting this together, so there are supplier innovation days, and they and most big companies I think do that nowadays. And then there's the more traditional mm-hmm. hackathon approach, which comes from the startup and from the agile culture. And then mm-hmm. there are design to cost workshops with suppliers when they when suppliers come in and share their insights of, as you alluded to earlier, with their knowledge of the production process in in their factory can can offer ways that a product can be made at a lower cost according to their production process so how would you be able to leverage technology and software to facilitate maybe just take one or two examples from those mm-hmm.
1: yeah so um uh, starting from from the beginning on your example so supplier innovation days uh, so one way uh we support our customers in this one is that uh, the, the software allows the suppliers to submit their uh, innovation ideas specifically for the innovation day. So that's, for example, what the what the general railways do. They have this annual innovation day, and they welcome submissions from the suppliers uh, for the main awards. And those submissions are then routed first of all to the main innovation team, who 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 make the um, uh, the first check. Then it's sent over to um, a number of experts who do an in-depth analysis, whether or not this is viable, feasible, uh, and so on. Uh, And then even go the third step where they, uh, after after the initial analysis, they send it off to a broader range of internal employees who do voting about uh, how innovative, viable, and so on the idea is. And based on that, they can then um, uh, submit or they, they, they decide on which supplier receives the award. But even except, um, uh, let's say, apart from this uh, ad hoc approach for let's submit ideas for the supplier innovation, having the, all those innovations in the software allows you to also evaluate your suppliers on their innovative Potential. Because right now, even when companies do supplier assessments, let's say every year or every two years, and even should they evaluate whether the supplier is innovative or not, this is all very much subjective. So, you know, the person who fills out the questionnaire comes back in their mind to the last year and think, did I receive any help from the supplier or not? And If all of that communication goes through the platform, you have actual hard KPIs in the system. How many ideas were submitted by the supplier? How many of them were found to be viable to to undergo an extensive analysis? And how many of them were uh, implemented? And also the idea is that maybe after one or two years, you come back to that uh, and evaluate again, was this idea implemented? Is everybody happy about it? So that you have this full idea lifecycle evaluation. Uh, when it comes to hackathons or designed costs, so this is a, a similar approach. Uh, simply what we did is a, a mobile-friendly version that you can, you can have a, at what we call an innovation topic that is closed off to all the suppliers, it's only open to a number of selected suppliers who then submit their ideas specifically uh, on uh, on the topic that the customer is interested in. And in this way, on one hand, you enable this supply chain innovation. And on the other hand, you also keep your cards covered so that not everybody out there knows that you're uh, looking for uh, innovations from a, a specific uh Uh, range or uh, or category Um, and the same goes to design to cost so we we allow the suppliers not only to when they submit the idea they they will select the benefits that the idea might bring and basically from a let's say qualitative approach where they have a number of uh, of tick boxes they can they can select and uh, uh, enter a description of of the benefits to the clients But we also can go then to the next step, where if the supplier already supplies the given part, they can select it from the parts database, from the material database, and then say, well, our idea will decrease the unit cost from this amount, to this amount, we know how many are produced. So the system automatically will uh, give an evaluation of what is the savings potential, what are the um, associated CAPEX costs or, or other costs. Um, and then you can evaluate also the savings on a on a cost basis and then push it to the proper savings management. So it's it's kind of the opposite of what you do with consultants. Usually when you have a cost optimization project, you call in outside consultants and they do that top-down. So they force the suppliers, let's say through negotiations or through product redesign, uh, to lower the cost. And then here it's you've got the bottom-up sourcing of
0: the of the ideas as well. So it's just putting the initiative onto the supplier rather than waiting until you're knocking on their door with, uh, with with a, with a lean team or with a, or with a bunch of consultants. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And um, at this point, maybe uh, I wanted to add one, one more thing because I think it's very much underappreciated by people. The supplier innovation is about win-win. So you, when you start a supplier innovation program, Uh, You need to think about both parties, not only what you gain, but also what the suppliers potentially gain. So, of course, they, in a simplest case, they need to gain acknowledgement so uh, that you communicate with them about the ideas that they submitted and tell them whether you've implemented them or if not, then why. Because the worst thing that can happen, and that, and I'm sure it's you know happening out there all the time right now, supplier comes into the customer says we have an idea, and then this idea gets lost. So it's very demotivating for the supplier. But but the second thing on the win-win is, of course, okay if a, if an idea reduces the cost, how do you share the cost between, or how do you sh- share the savings between yourself and a supplier, and what else can you promise to the supplier? Uh, as well, that
0: they feel appreciated, and that they see the benefits of that cooperation. I'm glad you raised that actually, because I was going to ask a sort of similar question next, which is, how do you go about measuring then the the return on investment in terms of, well, not only on the on investing in the software, but in the resources that are needed both from from buyer and supplier to facilitate this, because. At the end of the day, especially if you're having some sort of gain sharing agreement with the supplier, any any innovation that doesn't bring clearly identif- identifiable P and L savings will typically not be reported by, will, will not be acknowledged by the CFO. So maybe just share some examples with some of the different mm-hmm. customers that you've implemented this for their their approaches mm-hmm. around recognizing that saving and and if they are doing gain shares how are they how are they working with the supplier to to ensure that both parties are happy
1: yeah. So when it comes to the software, that's the, the easiest, uh, <laughs> uh, I think, for uh, for us. I and mean, just, to, just to give, I can give you some hard indicators. So uh, from actual KPIs from a, a client's implementation uh, and very early on in implementation. So after two months from the start of the project, without even major, let's say, marketing campaign within the so- supply chain. Uh, they managed to get uh, over 70 innovation ideas from suppliers in 11 countries with a savings potential of 250,000 euros, which is way, way, way more than was spent on, on the actual um, um, development or the actual application. Uh, so it it does pay off uh straight away yeah, so that that's well of course uh, easiest if you if i can give you those kind of numbers because they say okay money, money potentially saved is uh is there um so, so that that's one approach um and here also Uh, what can be done uh, even in the projects that are not implemented that uh, we have, for example, automatic alerts for top management. If a new idea with a high savings potential come in, then you can set uh, thresholds uh, above which, for example, mid-management or even the CPO gets informed, hey, there's a new idea with that potential. Uh, Or if that idea gets rejected, (laughs) so that the, the boss can come come back and say, why did we reject an idea for, <laughs> I don't know, 400,000 euros, as it might be. Um, but if you look at the return on investment, it's also, um, it's not only about cost, it's also about speech to market. So there was um, a study by McKinsey where they found that if you have externally sourced innovations, they are typically commercialized 40% faster than those in-house ideas because they've already been at the very least partly validated by the supplier so that's a staggering uh uh, if you think staggering statistic and you can uh, also increase the um, uh, the product offering Uh, so there's another interesting article there was an interview with um And I always have issues with uh, pronouncing that name, I think Mondelez, formerly Kraft They They used to have a very, very easy to pronounce name and now it gets complicated. Uh, So there is an article, um, there's an interview with Jean-Baptiste Rubens, the head of procurement innovation, uh, where he says that, uh, and I quote here, today, if you look at our company's organic net revenue growth in Europe, at least 50% of the growth is coming from supplier contribution wow yeah so uh you can also think about not only in terms of can you have savings from what the suppliers come up with or it, it's more about can you introduce new products to the market based on the ideas of the uh, of the suppliers and only if you consider all of those metrics can you actually think about it's an ongoing uh success of uh, supplier innovation
0: yeah and i think i mean i come from the consumer goods industry as well and uh, in in my most recent sort of corporate past and certainly innovation around machinery and equipment and how that could facilitate improvements to Operational efficiency in the factory was was a was a big area of supplier innovation that that we would get involved in back in the day when I when I purchased capex. So yeah, I can I can completely see how that statistic from Mondelēz would be uh, would be relevant. How important is it to get c level sponsorship as a prerequisite for this to succeed?
1: From my perspective, very important um, because of two reasons, and and both of our. Both of our uh, customers got that visibility from the sea level, and in many cases it was driven by the c p o to um, uh, start uh, the projects in the first place um, There are two reasons so one reason is um in the end that that innovation team needs to be able to interface with other teams in the organization. And sometimes even stomp their foot to to push people to do something. Now, if they don't have any power whatsoever, they're, the bigger the organization, the more tendency there is towards uh, inertia. That we've been doing it the same way we've been doing so far, and
0: we're happy, so go away. Yeah, especially in business cultures that are a bit more resistant to change. To change, resistant to change. Yeah,
1: if you don't have the the sea the, the level uh, support on that side and then you can uh, have problems. And, and the second thing is again coming back to this win-win approach. You need to be able to promise your suppliers something. So either uh, either the sharing of uh, of benefits, but then somebody has to you know maybe adjust the contracts. Uh, you might promise them, uh, for example, better payment terms or uh, or new projects or something like that. Yeah, but you need to be you need to have the power to actually make those promises and make those promises in a credible fashion. It's very similar, if you think about it, to supplier management, because it's very easy to call a supplier a strategic supplier, but what does it really mean? What does the what does a supplier gain from being a strategic supplier? And this is where the C-level um, uh, support comes into play.
0: And it's something that's always iterated isn't it Are oh, you're a strategic supplier or you're a preferred vendor what does that actually mean <laughs> what am i exactly, getting for it exactly yeah. okay so finally if you had a message then to any companies that had maybe been sitting on the fence for a while or had not really approached this in a more strategic methodical way what would be your one sort of biggest tip in terms of getting their arms around supplier innovation and and potentially using a piece of software like what what procurement offers for uh, for for evaluating and assessing and storing this data?
1: Mm-hmm. I would say start small. So start from the from those continuous improvement projects or uh, simple issues because then then you've got then you start with the volume and you can show okay this really works. We can communicate with suppliers. People see the benefits. What people should not do is to start a supplier innovation project with the big hope that they will catch the big fish straight away. Because, of course, we're all extremely willing to find this next big thing. Uh, But but, if you have luck, then you catch the big fish. If you don't have luck... You should focus on the um, daily bread and butter, as it were. Sometimes, uh, if, if I, I can tell you another story, it's a real-life example of the failure of innovation ecosystems, in a way. There was a Polish company, Skycrops. was a startup. they have been working on AI-based uh, system that scanned orchards, Apple orchards. That was their initial product that they wanted to deal with. and they scanned the trees and the apples for uh, potential problems with pests and so on, so that the system would say which individual tree or sometimes individual apple would have to uh, be sprayed with chemicals. Uh, so it, it would save uh, the, the the company uh, or save the farmer potentially a lot of money on chemicals and reduce the reduce the use of the chemicals um, and. They, in the end, they went bankrupt uh, and that I talked to them pretty much uh, two months before that, that happened. Um, and at the same time, uh, after talking to Aco, we've realized that they also were working on a similar uh, issue or they have a team or working on similar products. So nothing worked out in this example, uh, but that's the matter. That's exactly the matter of luck. Yeah? sometimes, if conditions were perfect, those two organizations would have found themselves a year before, and ACCO could simply you know take over the small startup and uh, have all the know-how that was already developed and in-source it uh, and benefit from that. Uh, but since in this case, uh, there was
0: no lucky chance. Both parties are the worst. Yeah, it's the first thing that you do in your first economics module at university, isn't it? Perfect knowledge of a market. It's, uh, yes. yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, Mathieu, before we sign off, where is the best place that people can find you if they would like to learn a little bit more about what you offer? uh, You can go to our LinkedIn profile. You can also go to our website.
1: So that's www.procurence.com. P-R-O-C-U-R-E-N-C-E. And also, yeah, as I said, LinkedIn is also the the good good place to find me.
0: Fantastic. I will link to all of that in the show notes. Thank you very much for coming on the show and uh, supplier innovation. I think it's a very hot topic at the moment. So it's great to see that there's also innovation in the software market here when it comes to providing solutions in this area. Uh, All the best and wish you success. Uh, Speak to you soon. Yep. Thank you very much. Bye. So that was Macchie Procurement. Meerkat is the company. If you missed that, it's in the show notes as well. Just a couple of things before we sign off. We also have a newsletter here at the ProcureTech podcast. Just head to the show notes and click on the link if you would like to subscribe, and we will bring you procurement technology goodness every month into your mailbox. All the new news regarding funding, takeovers, innovation, new companies entering the market, all that lovely stuff, we have once a month for you there. Don't forget to check out our LinkedIn page as well and subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast player if you want to get notifications every week when we launch a new episode. Thank you very much for listening. We know that there are a lot of procurement podcasts out there, so we particularly appreciate that you've decided to insert us into your earballs today, and we will be here again for you same time next week. Until then, take care and bye for now.